So I've got sitting with me here, Denise Carnahan from Helping Hand Safaris in uh, Kenya. Uh, quick intro for, for, for Denise, more than a decade ago, she discovered she had family ties in South Africa, which ended up on a, bringing her to Africa on a long journey through many countries before eventually landing in Kenya as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. Denise developed a, an amazing passion for Kenya specifically and has founded not one, but two schools in Kenya, has written a book about their experiences and eventually founded Helping Hand Safaris, a tool company that shows you a side of Kenya that very few people have the opportunity to experience. Hey, it's Mitch Bach from Tourpreneur here with a quick note before our episode begins. This week's Tourpreneur podcast is sponsored by TripAdmit. TripAdmit has come up with a fantastic new product called Tap to Tip. I remember being a tour guide 20 years ago and just waiting for that awkward moment at the end where your guests fumble into their pockets and whip out cash or they don't. And that sort of all changed during the pandemic. We stopped using cash and now everyone's dealing with PayPal accounts and Venmos and QR codes. John McGuire, you're the CEO of TripAdmit. You came up with something new. What did you figure out? Hey Mitch, we've developed a digital tipping solution for the guides so that the guides, we provide them with a NFC card, which they can tap off the back of their guests' phones. That will open essentially a web app and then the guests can tip the guides digitally either by Apple Pay or by credit card or whatever payment method of their choice. Because as, as you mentioned, it's the, the world is going cashless and uh, certainly is, is timely for the guides to, to look at digital tipping as a, as a source of income. So no app downloads, no scanning, no typing things into your phone. You just hold this, this card up to your guest's phone and voila, they've got some convenient options to tip. Does the web app do anything else? Reviews and ratings. But what we've done is we've taken the reviews and ratings one step further and integrated ChatGPT. So the ChatGPT, is a, it allows the guest to input into the review, but also ChatGPT will help write the review for the guest and they can post it onto TripAdvisor or onto Google or, or onto, the, uh, onto the website of the activity. This sounds like seamless handholding to get guests to tip and review. That sounds like money in your guide's pockets and a great service you're providing. If our operators want to learn more, where should they go? Well, if they want to know more, go on to tripadmit.com forward slash tap to tip and uh, all the information is there. Denise, it normally happens that people start the tool company first and then they start the school. How did that happen that you started the school first and then started the tool company? Um, it was back in 2011 and um, I had taken my husband over with me because the year before I'd done three months of volunteering in Kenya and I was in a, in a teenage boy detention centre, which my husband was quite keen on on you know, coming and getting involved in. So he came back with me in 2011. And somewhere along the line, very, very early on, um, over a coffee actually in a cafe in Nairobi, I said to him, wouldn't it be cool if we could build a little school? You know, 50 kids, we could fund it. Um, It'll be about $150 a month that I'd, you know, I'd done my sums. Or obviously I'd had a little planning involved. And uh, that could be our contribution to, you know, the poverty in the world. And we could start this little school in a big slum area um, and perhaps employ one person who I already had earmarked anyway. Um, and he could employ a, a, an assistant and we'll build this little school. So Chris would normally say, you've got to be joking. But he didn't. He said, um, yeah, let's do it. So we had no idea how to do it or what to do. So um, got this friend that I'd kind of earmarked to be to be um, running the school involved. And he said, yes, of course we can. So he found a plot of land. Um, we signed a lease on it and proceeded to build a little school but with two classrooms and for our 50 children. So that's how that started. And within 24 hours, we had a structure. And two months after we came up with the idea, we opened our school. Not to 50 wow. kids, 
there were 117 children jammed into two classrooms with no breathing space. Of course, of course. So that's how it started. Right, right. Um, $150 a month, that was a number that you came up with to run a school. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So we had um, got all our, or done all the sums um, according to the local, you know, um, people, the Kenyans that were able to tell us. And for that, for a little school in a slum area, um, they were fully, fully um, qualified teachers, but that was perhaps really what the realistic price, um, you know, wages were, were around that figure. And we thought, wow, that's crazy. But they were more than happy with that. We were absolutely going to be guided by the local people and what they, um, you know, advised us. There's no way we were going to be employing people that, you know, and paying them pittance if that wasn't what it was going to cost. Yeah, that's critical, right? Like I do this as well. Very, absolutely. Yeah. So I don't have any charities just yet, but uh, when I hire overseas, actually sometimes the very first thing uh, that I get the team member to do is actually do an investigation of the, you know, or do an investigation on my behalf and I get them to document what everyone makes in their area. So what does a policeman yeah. make? What does a, what a teacher make? What is, yeah. what all, and so just to understand if I'm actually paying them a fair salary, they don't know that's why I'm doing it, but that's why I'm doing it. Right. Cause you always want to pay healthily, but I guess in your case as well, um, you could easily pay a teacher. For, I mean, you could easily have the idea of paying a teacher five hundred dollars a month or a thousand, and that le that leaves you with one teacher and not four or whatever or six or whatever the number may be. So you have to kind of balance it out, right? Paying healthily but being able to stretch your resources. Is that right? Absolutely, and not only that, it then sets a benchmark um, that you know the teachers are talking in their community, and you know. Um, there's a bunch of them who are on the the kind of general wage with their their schools or whatever, and then there's another teacher that we're paying who's earning four times that amount. You know that it's not it's not yeah it would uh, it's another benchmark altogether, and that's yeah, not would, what we were about. And that would cause issues, wouldn't it? Um, totally. in the in the local system. Yeah. 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 It was um, very important too for us that we. When we, when we were starting the school, that it was a Kenyan school. It was not a, um, uh, you know, Wibamazimwu, which are Western white people. Uh, we weren't going to go in there all gun-ho and tell them how, it's, how you know, a school should be run or how uh, the children should be educated. It was a Kenyan school and the boot was on the other foot. We wanted to be told what to do and how to do it. Um, and they're perfectly capable and very successfully educate their own you know students um various yeah well so it wasn't that wasn't what we were doing we we're basically just wanting to help 50 kids get an education who were otherwise you know not able to get an, you know to go to school because it's just you know waiting lists galore yeah so your book is called i share my heart with africa and yeah. there's a really really cool moment in the in the book where you thought you were going over to teach all these people how to sew, but that's not what happened. No, not at all. What did they, they, what happened? They're just so smart and so clever. And um, the idea of, of me, and this is it, this is our kind of, I don't know, it's, it's a Western kind of thing where we think we're going over there to teach them things. They teach us things, you know, like they talk, they, they're very and, capable. And, and I just want to jump in here because when people sometimes say that people think, oh, they teach us how to be happy or whatever. It's like, no, no, no. Like you, when you went over to teach these kids sewing, these kids were master sewers by the time you found them, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Like they could easily, yeah, they could easily be leading, um, advanced sewing workshops in Australia or New Zealand. Right. And these Absolutely. kids. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was embarrassing. It was actually an embarrassing thought that, you know, who was I going to go over there and teach these kids something that they were, you know, real yeah, guns at already. And not only were they great sewers and dressmakers, but these kids also use the resources they've got, which is very, very little. And, um, you know, I went over there and, was going to, um, you know, these kids who, who were gone, you know, already very well, um, you know, uh, good, great sewers, 
um, they would they were learning to sew using paper because they didn't have fabric because they couldn't afford it. And that in itself was just incredible. You know, like they, we had all these garments lined up and on coat hangers and pegged up around the around the classroom, proper garments made from sugar bags. They weren't wearing them, obviously, but this was their their practice, you know, and their tutoring. Incredible, incredible. Well, so yeah, I guess in that way you learned what they didn't need teaching. What did they need? They needed um, they needed resources, basically, and money to buy the resources so that they had the tools that they need. Um, they didn't need. Yeah, us going in there and teaching them something that they already were done, you know, really, really good at. And that was that was not just that. My husband came and he was teaching um the boys some basic woodworking skills, you know, how to fix things and you know, he took over a whole lot of tools and things. These kids already knew it. They just didn't have the resources to, to be able to put these, you know, skills into practice. It's crazy. It's just so clever and even to this day I rave about our kids at, at our um, school how clever they are and how the sponges they just learn everything and they soak it up they soak everything up they just want to learn everything everything right and that's that's an amazing change of paradigm and I can see why it led you to be to be pursuing not a western mazungu drops in and is the develops a messiah complex but you you went in a different direction and, and you were like, well, we're going to set up a Kenyan school for Kenyans, right? Yep. Because yep. they had the ability to learn because they're human mm-hmm. beings. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they're doing it perfectly well. Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly well. And it works. It, Everything works. It might not work to what we do here, but it works mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I remember one time I, I, when I was 17 years old, instead of doing the standard finishing high school and going off and getting drunk trip, my dad and I went to India. And um, to visit a project that he kind of been supporting for a while. And I was scheduled to volunteer in a school. And all the kids knew more than me about pretty much any topic. And yep. here I was with my quote-unquote world-class, you know, first world education. Right? I know. And, yeah, I and, get it. And the, yeah. And the kids in year eight, I don't know what the name for that is in America. Some early early years of high school, whatever that's called in, the, in America for the American listeners. <laughs> but year eight for Australian listeners. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the kids in year eight knew more about lots of topics than I even got to in my final year mm-hmm. of high school. And, it's almost uh, yeah. an arrogance that we take, you know, like we, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's mind blowing. Cool. So, um, so, so obviously that was what eventually led you to build the school, right? Um, the $150 a month school, but I'm sure I didn't take $150 to build the school, right? So you, you you built a couple of classrooms? Yeah. So we before we went on our trip, uh, well, on this for this particular year, 2011, um, a lot of friends and family had given us money to take to Kenya to spend how, you know, where we thought fit. So we had a few thousand dollars, probably about $4,000, I think, by mem- on memory. Um, and we... You know, we we had it there. We were trying to work out what we were going to spend it on until, you know, then the school idea came up and we thought, let's put it into the school. So that's what it cost. So, yeah, we built this small school. We had to build, you know, a big fence around it and no water, no, uh, yeah, we we had obviously toilets. We had to build some um, some very basic toilets. Um, but there's no power or anything like that. It was just purely a little building, really, a little structure right. that was divided into two classrooms. Yeah. How much does it cost if I want to? If I'm in the market to get a, a small a school structure in Kenya, what does it cost me? Well, for that one, it was yeah, it took all of our three to four thousand dollars, but that was it. Well, however, um, on opening day there were 117 kits, and they were jammed in, you know, and there was just no no space. So we immediately knew that we had this. Again, it was our Western thinking. This and and it was me. You know, this, these children can't possibly learn in this environment. You know, they can't even move around the, the classroom. We need to build more more classrooms. But of course, we had run out of our money by then, 
And uh, we were heading off to Uganda the day after the school opened, backpacking around Uganda for six weeks. And we thought, okay, when we, so we made a, a you know, decision that when we came back to New Zealand after our trip, we would um, do some fun, fundraising and send it back to build another lot of classrooms. So that's exactly what we did um, and sent the money back, to, got raised the money, sent it back to Kenya. Another two classrooms were built. And for me, and, and, or, and or our, again, our, our Western ideas and thoughts was that that's great. Now the kids can spread out through the, school, you know, through the four classrooms. No. Didn't happen. Brought more kids in. So yeah, six months later, I went back and there were 300 kids at the school. <laughs> Again, and in like sardines. And right. Then, so we had these four classrooms. And then I randomly met this gorgeous uh, Kenyan man at a cafe one day who shared my table because there were, I had two another seat spare that was the only one spare in the cafe. Lovely, lovely man, and we're still friends to this day, who wanted to know why I was in Kenya. I told him what, what the story was and that we had this this exploding school <laughs> and he offered to build another two classrooms for us which he did do and he sent out his um his workmen and another two classrooms would add it on so we then had six classrooms so when we went back the following year there were 400 kids oh my god and it was crazy and not only 400 children but we had nine, uh, 12 staff that we didn't even know about because obviously we had no money to, um, to pay for them, but we didn't even know they existed. We, we didn't know. We didn't know. First of all, we didn't know that there were that many children. And yep. secondly, we didn't know that there was all the staff who were volunteering to teach at our school, not thinking or hoping that one day, you know, they'd get put on the payroll. Well, we, I was horrified. It absolutely destroyed me that these people were, were teaching at our school and we had no idea at all. We honestly, looking back, we were so naive about the whole thing. Um, it was just something that, that happened. Let's build a school. Let's help 50 children, you know, with right. education. And suddenly it all exploded in front of us. And, yeah, it was terrible. So our, our own children here. <laughs> yeah. They felt sorry for their mum and dad that suddenly they had this school that was just imploding on, you know, like it was just out of control yeah. and that we didn't have finance to, to fund it, to fund all these, um, all these teachers. So they set up a, a private sponsorship scheme between family and friends, you know, come and help mum and dad's school out and people were paying $10 a month into an account. And before we knew it, we had friends of friends, people we didn't even know who were coming on board and paying their $10 a month into an account. And before we knew it, we had more than enough money to pay for the running of the school. And to even to this day, we have a lot of those same sponsors who joined way back then. Mm. Wow. And they're paying manually $10 a month? Or they're yeah, they've paid it. No, uh, some pay more, some pay $10. We don't, right. it's, it's all great. So what, awesome. That's amazing. So this is a tour for our podcast and we're getting to the tour yeah. bit soon, guys. I'm just curious yeah. about this. And I know that a lot of tour, um, tour entrepreneurs are curious about this sort of thing because they're interested yeah. in, in making their own charitable contribution to the world. I'm sure. Right. That's part of the reason why I'm so interested yeah. in your story. Um, yeah. So so what happened to the school? You're talking about it in past tense. So in 2013, we were back there and um, everything seemed to be fine. And we stumbled across um, a whole lot of receipt books that were hidden in the back of the stationery cupboard. And it was very clear to us that um, the, care the, the caregivers and the parents were being charged quite a substantial amount of money to have their children attend our school. Now, when we set the school up, we had a lot of advice from local people, local Kenyans, 
saying that it's great that you're setting up the school, but please don't take the whole responsibility away from the caregivers or the parents. They need to have take some responsibility for their children's education and by not charging them anything or, or whether, whether it's 50 cents a month, the, the parents or the caregivers or whoever is looking after the, uh, you know, the students do have to make a tiny contribution. Uh, yep, otherwise, it's very, easy, it's very easy then for, that, for them to just say, oh, well, you know, they're being paid to go to school. So that's sweet. We don't have to, you know, look after our own kids. So we were very mindful of that. And so we set a very tiny fee. And for some families, that's still a lot, you know, and I'm talking, I think it was a dollar a month or something, you know, right. not even that. Right. Anyway, so we discovered these receipt books and these parents were being charged quite a lot of money. When I'm talking about a dollar a month, I'm now talking, God, $15 a month per child, you know, or whatever, which is a lot of money to that. We're in a slum in Kenya, mm. a very, very poor part of, you know, a community. So... The alarm bells immediately rang. I mean, you know, when I look back now, it was, we, as I say, we were so naive. But anyway, we trusted our guy who was running our school. And we yep. trusted him from day one. And he was a very good friend of ours. And looking back now, we could see exactly how it all came unraveling. We had given him so much responsibility and so much kind of free reign to run the school that he just like, this is great, you know, I can charge what I like and, and build an empire out of it. And unfortunately, that's almost what happened. And so as much as we thought we were you know, helping, the, helping the world or our little tiny piece of um, community. Well, you were. Yeah, we, you were, we, we were. You still were, just not in, not in the way you intended, right? And not, not quite in the... Not quite in, not quite to the level or in the ways that you would have would have liked, right? Yeah. So, so you just basically walked away from the school. Is that what happened? We did. We had to walk away. We wanted him out, but we couldn't get him out. And the police right. wanted him out. The you know social services wanted him out. But it's all just so hard. And in the end, so we had there. Were, there was one person in the school who we really did trust, and he was um, a teacher part time. He was uh, head of the senior school, and he was also finish, uh, putting himself through university. And when and our visa was running out when all this happened, so we had to leave Kenya. But we we had to trust somebody to try and help us get our guy out, right? Um, and we took Tony on board and had to have a, like a secret meeting with him outside of you know the the area told him what was happening, what we'd found, where we were kind of left um, and we needed him, we asked for his help and he gave us his word and we left Kenya and he picked up the pieces to try and get this guy out of the school and nine months later, Tony came to us and he said, I'm really sorry Dee, but um, you're going to have to walk away from the school, we can't get him out of the school he's right. you know there was a whole lot of reasons and so yeah yeah we walked away was he really was too weird. entrenched he was too entrenched yeah. and so yeah, and too, yeah. Too corrupt. Too corrupt. so so and you didn't give up though you said i'm gonna do it again i'm gonna come back for more um which yeah. is amazing <laughs> that that is the entrepreneur spirit right there uh you decided to start another school um tamariki with education tony. center with tony um, but this time around, I'm assuming you've got you've got the legal structures in place, you've got the governance structures in place, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so when um, when he told us we had to walk away, and my and Chris, my husband, he said, "Right, we're well, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. You know, we've done our best, and that was that. And I wasn't done because those children look. still needed something, you know. And so I went to Tony and I approached him and said, Tony, how about we start another school but this time you know we do it properly and he he didn't come straight back and he when he did he said if we're to start another school it's on my terms not yours meaning his terms totally this, 
Yeah. He said, this okay. is the way that the school was run and set up is not the way a school should be set up and run. And he said, you know, he's a, he's got an education degree. He knows, you know, he, he knows how it, how it should be run. And so down, long story short, um, we set up the school. He, we have it set up just like we have a school set up in New Zealand. They have a board of governors. They have um, all sorts of structures, you know, um, processes and, and things in place, legal. Uh, we follow the national curriculum. You know, we're part of the education department, um, all of that. And the school is coming up for nine years this year and is beautiful and runs perfectly. And he, so we now have this agreement where he runs the school and the board of governors run the school and I monitor the charity. So we, and amongst all that, I set up a, a uh, we, I've got some trustees on board and we set up a, uh, a legal charity trust, a charitable trust here in New Zealand. How many kids you got at school now? Uh, I think there's about 165. So when Tony started the school, he said, we start from ground zero and we take the little kits that we had from our previous school and that's it. We they're, they're going to be our our um, foundation pupils, right. and they will eventually be. So every year we bring in the, the younger right. babies, yeah. and they'll be the first graduates. Yeah, that makes a lot yeah. of sense because um, yeah. that enables you to establish effectively the educational culture of the school, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right, and it, and it works, and it's worked beautifully. And we've just had our first graduates last year, twenty twenty. Yeah. Oh, how many graduates? I think there were about 12 or 13. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. So we started, yeah, it was really exciting. So we started the school, he started the school with, on day one, it was two children and then he had 20. And then of course, over the years, some drop off, you know, and of course COVID has, you know, the school closed for 12 months because uh, all schools in Kenya were forced to close for 12 months. And some of those Families moved back to their rural areas. Um, they couldn't afford to live, you know, in the area. And we haven't, some haven't, just haven't come back, you know. But, yeah, it was very exciting. And uh, we're really thrilled with, with everything. So, and we've, I just need to put in that we're just signing tomorrow, well, Tony is, lease on, uh, not lease, um, own, land ownership. Land ownership? Yeah. As in you so we're buying the school permanently. Yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> this is a bit of an aside. How much does land cost in Kenya? I, a question I never thought I would ask. How much, if I wanted to buy buy me some land to put a school on the top of it in Kenya, what does it run me? Okay, so we initially we were looking at buying the land that the school was on, which was in a a, um, a community inside the Nairobi jurisdiction, and that land uh, was going up for sale for. Uh, 200 around approximately 250,000 US dollars. Wow. Okay. In square meters. How many square meters are we talking about? Uh, 100 by 100, I think the plot is. They're not huge. They're not, not not like our school size, you know. A lot of money for. So there's no way that was ever, ever yeah. going to be a, an option for us, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. However, Tony came to me early last year and he said, D, what about. If we move the school outside of the Nairobi jurisdiction, and I said, well, "What about our kids?" And he said, "We'll organise transport or whatever." And anyway, long story short, he uh, found he, he chose the area, and it's a beautiful little area. It's quite rural, and it's probably five to ten minutes drive from our previous school. Right. We were renting. So just and outside. The plot, just, of land, just... the plot, yeah, the plot of land that we've uh, just signing was around approximately twenty thousand. No, about eighteen thousand US dollars. Wow! And you're paying cash for that? Crazy difference. Crazy difference. What was that? Sorry. You're paying cash for that? Yep. So we um, we also have a a charity shop. That as a result of my tours that I started, I had a woman who uh, fell in love with 
with the whole idea, loves Kenya, loves the school, lives not too far from where we live, um, bought her daughter, took her daughter on one of my first tours, uh, and she then took, brought her family back, her husband and you know, rallies, uh, back on another trip. And that she just loves the school. And she, she said, came to me one day while we were over on the second trip and said, I would really love to set up a charity shop and the don the proceeds go to the school. It's something she's always wanted to do. Didn't kind of have a charity in mind at that time. So uh, when she, in 2018, 2018, I think it was, she set up a little shop and it's, it was a game changer. Absolute game changer. Like, phenomenal. The money that we get for that shop. Everything's donated. Our, um, our workers in the shop volunteer their time. We The only um, expenses we have is $200 a week rent and um, the, the uh, a rental on an FPOS machine and a little bit of power, and that's it. And we make, God, 30 $35,000 a year. It's and crazy. It's from yeah. tourists. And, <clears throat> no, nope, just from... Yeah. No, nope, no, no. So the shop, sorry, is back in New Zealand here. Oh, right. I'm with you. Okay. I I, I was in my, in my head, I was like, $800 a month. That's a lot for rent. And, like, given the numbers you were throwing around in Kenya. But no, it's, it's here. Okay. No, no, I completely no. missed that. No. So, um... So, the, and you send that money, you send the money back home. Um, so... Conscious of time, though, with the interview. So um, I want to ask one or two last questions about the school before we move on. Are you interested in adding multi-day to your day tour business? Are you looking to understand growth and scale strategies in the multi-day world? Looking to finally crack the technology stack you need to organize, automate, and grow your business? Then join Torpreneur in Seville, Spain for Torpreneur Connect, sponsored by We Travel, November 27th to 30th, 2023, for an event unlike any other in our industry. Open to strictly 100 operators. Pete, Mitch, Chris, and other industry experts will guide you through the do's, don'ts, twists, and turns of running a multi-day tour business. Not only that, Tourpreneur are giving back as we will be bringing in local suppliers and businesses to help us run the event. We're also opening up the event to a number of locally based tour operators who can attend for free. So join Tourpreneur in Seville for Connect, November 27th to 30th, 2023 and join us for an unforgettable experience of learning and connection in one of Europe's most unforgettable cities. Visit tourpreneur.com slash connect for more info. If someone signs up hypothetically to donate 50 New Zealand dollars a month, obviously that goes 100% to the school, right? 100%. 100%. And, and, and how, far, how far does that money go? What does $50 get someone when they're donating to a school in Kenya. So with our new school, we have increased our wages um, to our staff, and, to the staff. So um, it's compared to the first school. So mm -hmm. that would pay um, a, you know, that would pay probably half a teacher's wage from month. Right. So the, so the teachers are roughly making around a hundred yeah. New Zealand a month. Yeah. It's about ninety Australian, about sixty-five US. Bit. Yeah, even Ooh, a little bit. That's now, you know, I'm really paying for that. Right. So. right. So that's enough for them to make a healthy salary each month. Yeah. Save a little bit, pay for their expenses. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool. Um. Yeah. And let's transition. The yeah. tours came in. At what point? Let's talk about the tours. Okay, so the tours came from a random. Uh, Friday afternoon session at our local garden bar with my husband and I said I think I'll start taking tours because I had the thing is I had the following before I had the tours right people had were following the journey of the school our, our journey our own personal journey so I had this huge following of people so when I and when I decided that I'd like to take a tour of people, I knew that people would want to come because they wanted I was I was my experiences were of local, authentic 
experiences, not just tourism, right? So I had a lot of friends who were, who were, who were very fascinated with the whole thing. So this Friday, over a, a beer and a wine, I said to Chris, I think I'll start taking tours to Kenya or, or a tour. He said, fantastic. I've told you you should do that. I said, but who would want to come? He said, you know you've got a following of people who would love to come. And I said, but when it comes down to it, would they come? He said, ask them. So that I went back home that night. I put a post up on my personal page, because I only had my personal Facebook page at that stage, and the, and the um, school one. And I put a post out and said, I'm thinking about taking a tour group to Kenya. If you're interested in coming or knowing more, here's my email address. I love it. I, woke I love it. Pardon? I love it. Morning, how... I woke yeah, up. This... Yeah, this is amazing. <laughs> I woke up the next morning and there were 52 emails in my inbox. And I said to Chris, good grief, people actually do want to come. So with that, I thought, yeah, this is cool. And we sat down. He said, I said, I need to, no, I need to create an itinerary. And he said, you've got the itinerary. Everything that you do and we do, when I because he comes sort of every you know every now and again, he said is exactly what people want to see and do. It's all the local, it's the behind the scenes stuff. Of course, there's the tourist stuff, there's the wildlife and the, the landscape and all the touristy spots. But he's they want to see what you see behind the scenes and feel that real connection with the culture and the people. And I said. Perfect. I wrote an itinerary within probably an hour. Wow. And with that, I, oh, right, now, when am I going to take it? Okay, I'll put a date, and, and I stabbed a date on the calendar, and it was six months after I had, had bought, you know, had announced this idea. So then I had an itinerary, and I had a date. So then I went back to all these, oh, then I had to start pricing it out. I rocked up to a travel agent that I in, in Wellington City, where I live, near where I live, and just rocked in there and said, I'm Denise and I'm thinking about taking a tours to Kenya. Can you help with airfares? Well, I had this this partner on board immediately with so I was going to to um I I did offer an entire package and that included airfares, all the work, you know, the accommodate, you know, the itinerary and everything. So then I worked on um, the itinerary, the air accommodation, uh, getting my guys over there who I already was well connected with. Um, they weren't tour guides though; they were just your average person, right, on the street that I knew. So there was no official kind of careful planning to make sure that I had all my ducks in a row and I had all the right people that I needed to have. So, yep, they were all on board, and they, uh, so I opened the tour, and I sent it back to those 52 people, emails, and I had the book, uh, the trip booked in 24 hours. Paid the deposit. Another day? Right. So Paid the deposit like, and everything. Yeah. So then I was like, right, and so it was, it was going to be February, the first trip, and I thought, oh, I can take another one. Okay, how about the middle of the year, June? Did the same thing. Again, it was booked out in 24 hours. And then I did it again, September. And so I had that whole year. I thought three trips is enough for me. And that was it. And they, that was it. That's how it started. And then, yeah, just, wow. I just love and it. That's my passion. Yeah, I can feel that. You, uh, <laughs> I, I, there's, there's a couple of things I must mention here. The first thing is this is what, this is actually what good entrepreneurship looks like. It doesn't, it's not going where, where creating a business plan. <laughs> Registering your website, talking to con to consultants, it's literally just put the thought up on the internet, see how people react. Totally. Right? Totally. Yeah, we um we we did this a few months ago with our company. You just put a message up saying, Hey, who'd be interested in traveling over Christmas? And we had dozens of comments from people saying, Oh, I would love a Christmas trip. Right? You don't have to you don't have to put something fully formed out into the world in order to get feedback. Well you have to just put the idea out and you know what? There's a pretty good percentage of the time that nothing happened, <laughs> but you had built up a you you'd built up a real huge following, and that's um that obviously enabled you to. So, uh, yeah, there's so many directions I want to follow. There's so many questions I want to ask. Um, you you you've obviously gone off and built you built tours and stuff like that. Uh, let's let's keep on that thread for example before we learn how you built your following. 
how many tours, I mean, obviously COVID got in the way, right? But how many tours are you hoping to run uh, in 2023, for example? Um, well, I'm so for this year, I'm just doing the one. I, I opened, I think when, when COVID hit, I had two years of fully booked trips. Two years. I had 2020 and 2021. I and made we, the call. And I should... And I should and I should probably mention that we'd actually scheduled a date with you as well. Our company is right. yeah. 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 So I made the call early in March because I couldn't stand the thought of, am I going, am I not? Are these people not knowing what's happening. I shut the whole lot down early March when all of this started looming about COVID and refunded everybody everything. I did not want, I couldn't. I didn't want that on my conscience that, you know, so I refunded everybody's money. Fortunately, the suppliers that I had paid in Kenya at that point also refunded me, which, you know, was amazing. So I was out of pocket very little other than my airfares. I had about God knows how many thousand dollars worth of air, you know, fares there. And that was, that was the one thing that I had to struggle with was getting the money back for that. But in terms of my people, sorry this has happened. Here's your money back, and let's move on. And I honestly couldn't, I couldn't see me coming back from this, from the COVID thing. I couldn't visualize me opening my tours again. I couldn't see this whole tourism thing coming back. I think because New Zealand we shut down so tight and so long, I just thought this is it. I, I, you know, and I'm in my sixties. You know, I mean, you're in your sixties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're in your sixties. Yeah, so you've um, yeah. so you're so you're planning to run just the one tour this year? You said. Yeah. So then, late last year, I thought, you know what? I think I might open a tour. So I thought I'm just going to do some toe dipping. I wasn't sure. I need to know the lay of the land. How is it over there? What am I going to be going to? You know. So I just opened the one tour, and I stuck with that for this year. Um. Because I it's sold out. Yeah, so I've got. I, yeah, I could take another couple uh, because it's a different itinerary. We're actually travelling in jeeps um, as opposed to, um, you know, yeah. So we we do have another room for another couple of people because we've got two jeeps running side by side. I normally only take eight people, and I have got eight people booked. But as I say, I could take another couple. Um, and I'm doing, and it's Kenya and Tanzania. All of my itineraries have to have a, a visit to the school. It's compulsory. It's part of me, you know. Um, and it's how they also benefit as well. And so, do the tour visitors, and do the tour visitors, sorry, we got a slight lag. Um, do the tour visitors donate to the school? Is that what you're seeing happen? Uh, they, they have the opportunity to. I don't enforce You don't that. pressure them? Yeah. No, I don't. But I don't. I, just I, mean, I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to walk away without donating. So typically... What sort of amounts do people donate when they visit? Um, but they, but they'll, well, they'll either come with cash or they may come with with items. You know, they'll donate massive amounts of, of resource, you know, stationery or things that the school needs or whatever. Um, it's it can vary. It can vary the amounts that or you know the um, donated equivalent what they mm. bring to the school, but. Yeah, it's um, you know, with with having visitors come to the school through the year, it mounts up. In fact, so much so that we had to buy another. So we've got our just to sidetrack there. Our school is made built out of containers. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> really, one day we knew that we would hopefully buy some land, and so now we can pick it up and move it. So we ended up buying another container for all the stationery and the sports equipment and. All the stuff that we've, you know, that our that my guests take to the school. So it's more about they probably donate more in items and you know physical things than money. Yeah, I would guess though that it would be better for them just to donate money, right? Like, how do you have that conversation with people? But what? But what? And I can't have the conversation. <laughs> Yeah, like going off and spending like a dollar on a single book in New Zealand, right? When that dollar would go off easily buy ten books in Kenya. Right? I, know, um, I know. I know. Yeah. Uh far out. Uh cool. So one tour. Um you reckon you're gonna you'd be open to working with us again? 
on an on a, on a trip. Absolutely, absolutely. And also, what's happened in the last two weeks is that uh, I'm back up and running with my networking groups, you know, here in New Zealand. And um, I had a photography tour um, on the horizon for 2020 with a, a local photographer here and where I live on the Kapiti Coast. And we had a really exciting itinerary planned. He, he is a professional photographer and he was going to do it like a tutoring, you know, not fully hard out tutoring, um, you know, for three weeks, but, you know, general advice, you know, doing this, you know, going here, getting the, the special permits. Anyway, so Mark, and then COVID hit and Mark um, had had enough of being in New Zealand and he left and went back to the, he's a, Kiwi, but he has a great um, connection with America. So he went, got his green card and ran off to the States. And he fell in love with a Chilean lady and uh, they got married and they're there. So he, his life's now gone on a different tangent. So a couple of weeks ago, one of my networking groups that we've just, you know, reconnected again. And there was another photographer there who I've known for quite a long time and, and absolutely love her. And she was, you know, stuck in Sweden for a couple of years during COVID. Well, she's back now. So I said to her, I connected with her and said, would you be interested in, in collaborating on a on a photography, specialised photography um, trip for next year? So she's, abs she, I'm in. She said, I'm in. I'm totally in. So we're working on that. Um, I am going to, do, thinking I will do another tour Um not sure what it's going to look like yet and probably another two tours and yeah totally keen on the let's do it on the woman's day i loved loved the idea of that it was going to be so cool woman covid <laughs> yeah. but here we are on the other side so cool yeah yeah exactly and hearing your story i know that our guests we need to share your story with them and uh they're gonna love it you know i've <laughs> i i was actually actually um just subscribe during our call actually uh to be a donor to the school that 50 uh, yeah 50 new zealand a month that's why i was asking oh, how much how far that goes and yeah and if, you, if you're listening to the show i hope that you you consider doing the same thing just uh google tamariki tamariki education center it's the only thing that comes up and they have the ability to subscribe via paypal as a donor i mean that's exactly what i did oh, so tester tamariki yeah, well, is maori for children Nice. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm a big believer in, you know, like I hate it when podcasts be like, oh yeah, donate to this great cause and they don't donate, any, don't donate anything themselves. So I decided to lead by example, but I want to talk about the public speaking with the few minutes we have left. Yeah. You've built your following via public speaking. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. the average person, they don't know what that actually means. When someone says I built my following via public speaking, right? Obviously it means speaking in front of people, but which people, which audiences? Mm -hmm. How mm -hmm. did you end up in front of people who were interested in hearing your story? That's what I think a lot of people would be interested to learn. Interested well, that came about, um, I wrote my whole, this whole African journey. Um, I decided way back 2014, I think it was that I was going to write my story for my family, for my kids, my grandchildren about their family roots how this all happened, this African connection thing, which incidentally came, you know, was a shock to all of us and my brothers and I that we had a grandfather who was, you know, African. We didn't know. We weren't told about that as, you know, growing up. It was all that whole, you know, secret dark stuff. So I decided I was going to write the story of how this all happened and about our school and our, and our you know, journey in Kenya and our connections for our children and for our grandchildren, for my cousins, for, you know, just for the family. And um, I ended up writing this, this whole manuscript and was just going to get it published myself or locally or whatever, not into a book, but just into like a little, you know, little thing, <laughs> nothing major. And I connect and I randomly met this African woman one one evening um friend of a friend and she and my friend said oh she's just had a book published this african woman and i said oh really and um my friend said oh denise has just written a book and i said well i haven't really i'm just writing it to you know for my family 
And anyway, long story short, by the time I got home that night, this woman, this African woman, had connected me with her publisher in Australia, in the Gold Coast, and said, I've just met this woman, Denise, and she's writing a book, and I thought you'd, you know, you should connect. So that's how the book came about. Uh, The next thing, the book is a published book. Um, and it's out there on the worldwide stage and it's on Amazon and I've got it, had it in print and it was in bookstores here and suddenly that got me onto into the public kind of thing. I had, uh, next thing I was into, uh, you know, I had a phone call from one of our really popular, well-known radio stations. I had to go in there and do, an, well, I didn't have to, but I did, an interview with them. So that created a following of people. From that came the request to come and speak at different groups and different clubs and organizations. And then I got on to, um, you know, so I would go and, and talk about the journey and, and I had a captive audience there that would buy the book. And then, so they would buy the book and, and then I, they would join up, you know, sign up on my, um, I had a Facebook group at the time, Facebook page about my world and that's how that all started and then i I, so can so i need to back up here right so (laughs) you you published a book a radio station heard about it somehow because you were promoting it yeah and all and you just had this wave of momentum just kick off just from the one single radio appearance you had talks that come in from that and then between the radio appearance and the talks you started getting more requests to do talks at local community associations? Like, where mm-hmm. were you doing these talks? Uh, Probus, Lions Clubs, Rotary, right. uh, schools. I, I was right. flown to Auckland to go and speak at schools. Um, U3A, you know, university um, age. groups. Um, all sorts of groups, all sorts of groups. And wow. from ranging from 20 people to three or 400 right. people. And, right, yeah. and you never, but you never proactively sought out these speaking gigs, is that right? No, you would just you would just do interviews or give talks, and that just kind of rolled yeah. into the next. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, <laughs> and, I, and, right. I, and I I would do them for free. I didn't want any payment, but yeah, yeah. could I promote my book there? Have I still set up a little book stand and sell all my books? I had a captive audience right there. All right, so I've got two questions that I want to ask you. If if an entrepreneur, uh, how do I phrase this? What advice would you give to someone to who's trying to replicate what you did, right? Get called by a radio station, right? Like, is it just a case of writing your story and just sharing it and hoping the snowball starts? Are you talking about from the after publishing the book or to starting with you know writing a book after publishing? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I got this call. Um, Said, which we are inviting you into the radio station to talk about right. your story. I mean, I have a story, so I was easy yeah, to yeah. tell. Exactly, right, for sure. Exactly. So, so first step is to have a story. Uh, and the, the probably the publisher set up that radio in, interview with you for you, is that right? Oh, no, happened not at all. Okay, it just so, so the second thing I want to ask you is coming back to this charity thing to an, to an, to an activity entrepreneurs, it's very, very common that they want to give back to the world. Should they start their own charity or should they just be looking to someone for someone to partner with? What well, what advice would you give to someone like me who wants to make a difference? I think partner with a um with a charity, to be honest. Um, there are some amazing, amazing projects out there all over the world globally. And um I think you'd you do your due diligence first. Um You've got to make sure that the charity and the cause that you're supporting is what it says it is. Um, you know, you you don't want like with our one, every hundred percent goes to the school. There's no everybody volunteers at the shop. You know, like if everyone's a volunteer, um, you really do need to do your 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 homework and delve into what the charity is about, what they're offering, how much is taken for this or that and because there are a lot of dodgy charities out there as well see, right but they're right so you'd want to um, annual reports and stuff like that yeah in terms of doing your you know starting up your own for us it was um 
it was just the next step. And it actually happened through one of my speaking gigs. Uh, there was a, a lawyer there in the audience. And he came up to me afterwards and said, Denise, I'm loving what you're doing, da-da-da-da-da. And um, I'd love to, you know, work with you and set up a charity for you for free. Right. That's how it started. I don't know if we would have gone down that track, to be honest, because it's a lot of work. Um, and then the whole donor status things comes comes into play where uh, that's huge. That's a huge, um, a whole other ball game in terms of it. Your the legal exactly. donor status. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's how we charity. But, yeah. but, you know, someone like me, I don't care. I honestly do not care if I get tax deductible on $50 yep. a month, right? What, well, what kind of, what kind of? I know, I know, right? I know, but like, I, I think, I think it's one of these things that like people do care about. They focus on a little bit too much, right? And I don't, I don't know how, uh, how, especially for $10, 20 50 $100 a month, who cares, right? I think it's, um, has to be something that would be gently explained, but like, I didn't check if you have charity status and even if yeah. you do, it doesn't matter. So yeah, if you think about donating, just please put. Put that out of your mind, right? Like how, like we're, how small ball is it to be like, oh, can yeah. I get my $15 in tax back? Oh, come on. That's it. Come on. I know. Right? Um, I think a lot about, I think a lot of our donors actually do still put it in, in their tax return. And... Yeah. Well, if you get the receipt, <laughs> do it, right? If you get the receipt, do it. I'm just saying, if you're thinking about all this sort of stuff, people, it's just this weird thing that people just focus on because other people talk about it and focus on it and just because other people talk about it doesn't mean you need to focus on it it's a signal it's a it's a it's a broken so society signals all sorts of things the signals don't kill people it signals don't spit on the sidewalk it signals every single charity donation should have tax deductible status not every single not every signal from society is relevant and this is actually one that is not relevant yeah. when it comes to me and my donating i don't care right yeah and i think we are it is just something I'm quite passionate about and i want to start spreading that world into that message into the world a little bit more. And I'm using this podcast as a vehicle. Thank you for my t listening yeah. to my TED Talk. <laughs> so, um, Denise, um, if anyone wants to get in touch with you or follow you, they can, what's the best way? I mean, you got Helping Hand Safaris, you got Tamarik Education. Helping Hand, yep. Yeah. Yep, Helping Hand African Tours and Safaris or hook me up on Facebook, you know, add me as a friend, whatever. Right. Um, yeah, there's plenty of ways, really. Or my email address, Um well, all right. I'm going to, that's awesome. I, and I, I really look forward. So this podcast is going to get published a few weeks after a recording, but I really, really look forward to in a couple of months time to hearing your report back as to how many of our tourpreneur listeners went and put in a one-time donation yeah, or a recurring donation. And yeah. please guys, it's like the $10 a month thing. No, $50 a month. That's a very little amount of money. That's probably like what I spend in coffee in a week. And that pays for half of a teacher's salary every single month. Mm -hmm. That's just so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your with us tonight. Yep. You're welcome. Oh, wait, you're, been great. you're gonna you're gonna say one last thing. I was gonna say some, one last thing. So uh, what I get asked often is, what happens to our kids when they graduate from out because we're a primary school? That's a wonderful question. Um, yeah. And um, so in Kenya, um, it's a lot of. Um, the the education system is marks based, so uh, you have to sit um, an exam to you know graduation exam etc. And that determines the, your marks and things determine on the the high school that you may get in may or may not get into. So uh, there are obviously there are public schools and um, and high schools, and so they're over you know there's a lot of a lot of issues there. So the higher the marks, which means, you know, obviously the, the better that you've done in your exams and obviously your, your education in general, the better, the higher standard high school that you're going to go to. So that's where, um, with our kids that have just graduated last year, they're all in, gone on to get into really, really awesome high schools. And that's all down to Tony as well and his, his, passion and responsibility for getting his his students into a really good high school so yeah that, that's one of the, the big criterias also is about is out from our own school is to get out yeah yeah totally yeah, and one sure. one last little warm and fuzzy thing i'd like to bring up is when when our first school collapsed 
and suddenly, you know, we, we bailed, we had to leave suddenly out for, I mean, step out of the school, uh, in terms of funding and everything about it. Uh, Tony, um, he being, he was the senior head teacher. He would go to the, he was also sacked from the school. And, um, so he would go to all these senior kids to their houses at night and privately tutor them to get them prepared for their final exams because we had these kids and it was like three months out of exam time when the school collapsed and these kids were like in, in year eight, you know, so they were ready to go on to their, to their high school and couldn't even sit their exams. So to, he went to every one of those children and helped them prepare for their final exams and managed to get them prepared for their final exams. So they find they, they passed. So I think it was a couple of years ago, he had a knock on his door one night and standing there were a half a dozen kids and they were his kids, some of them from that he had helped to, um, with their final exams from our, our first school. And they had just finished high school and were all enrolled in university. And there were 17 kids and they had tracked Tony down and wanted to put on a party for him and I, like a thank you for all the work that he had done in those final couple of months before they met their primary school exams. And every single one of them were enrolled in the university and, he, and they put on this massive party for him in their own way as a thank you and I just that just it meant that there made it all that meant everything that means everything. everything yeah yeah all right cool well thank you for, so for living with that story that's beautiful um it shows that it shows <laughs> so that great. mine might it shows that uh, that that fifty dollars that I'm sending gonna start sending over is probably gonna give me the best return on investment out of any money that I've ever spent Absolutely. in my life in terms of Absolutely. impact it's incredible yeah. yeah. All right. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Denise, for sharing oh, your story. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. <laughs>